Our gospel lesson for today, the sixth Sunday of Easter, comes from John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commandments so that you may love one another. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, people of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. Many of you have probably figured out by now I'm a movie buff. I pay attention to a lot of things. You've heard me quote movies. You've heard me talk about movies before. I love them. I think they're great. And I pay a lot of attention to the movie industry as a whole, not just the movies themselves. And one of the things that I'm aware of is the, the grosses, how much a movie makes. And I've oftentimes thought about the largest grossing movies ever, like the top several movies that have grossed more money than any other movie before. Now, for a long, long time, it was the movie Avatar. And actually, I think there's a fight right now between Avatar and Avengers Endgame for the top spot. But the one that came before those came out back my freshman year of college, known as Titanic. You probably remember this movie if, you're, if you've been around for a while. It's set, of course, on the titular uh, boat of the Titanic around its maiden voyage and the sinking of it. And we have this wonderful love story between Jack and Rose, this, this ragamuffin down in third class and, and this, this first class girl and how they manage to meet each other and they fall in love and, and then the ship sinks and he dies and she goes on to live. I mean, that's basically the entire movie in a nutshell. But I remember the way they meet. Rose is upset. Something has happened that has upset her, and she's running through the ship, trying to get as far away from all the people who upset her as possible. And that involves her getting down to the third class deck, and she's clear on the back end of the ship. And in fact, she's feeling so upset that she actually climbs over the back rail, and she's hanging over the railing, even contemplating jumping into the icy water below. As she had gone to that part of the ship, she ran right past Jack, and he follows after her, and, and of course, it's the dreamy Leonardo DiCaprio, if you remember him, and, and he, he begins to talk to her, and they begin to communicate, and finally he tells you, or he says to Rose, he tells her he doesn't want her to jump, and he begins to take his shoes off, and he takes his coat off, and she asks him what he's doing, and he says, well, I'm involved now. If you jump in, I have to jump in after you. I'm involved. I think about that, his willingness to get involved, his, how he witnesses something's going on with her, and so he gets involved. He places himself on the line. Now, as it turns out, of course, she doesn't jump. 
they end up pulling her back over the railing and everything is okay. But it's that idea that he is willing to jump into that icy cold water to probably sacrifice himself to try and help her. When I think about all of this, I think about the basic premise of the gospel, and I think it's present here within what we have as well in our reading. As we know, the giant gospel in a nutshell, or the story of scripture in a nutshell, it starts, God lovingly makes the world. God takes joy and delight in all that is made, and that culminates with humanity. Humanity who has been made bearing the divine image of God. Every single member of the human race bearing that divine image and in community with one another in one way, shape, or form. But brokenness is in the world, and the world is not perfect. And God recognizes that. God sees this. God sees the turmoil in the world. God sees the ways that we treat one another poorly and how we treat the world poorly and how all of these things, while we have goodness in the world, there is also a lot of badness too. And so God gets involved over and over and over again. God says, I'm involved now. And we see God take action in the world. And then God takes more action in the world. And God takes more action in the world. And this goes on for a very, very, very long time until God ultimately gets completely involved, not only with the world as a whole, but with humanity, by God taking on flesh and dwelling among us as one of us in the person that is Jesus. God the Son, the one who is both fully man and fully God. If that's not God saying, I'm involved now, I don't know what is. Jesus is born. Jesus lives. He grows up. He begins his ministry, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He brings this divine ministry into uh, existence as he travels around and as he gathers a following, as he gets involved with those who he encounters. Over and over again, we see that in Jesus' own story. And finally, it's culminating with where we're at. Now, if this passage sounded kind of familiar or the theme that sounded kind of familiar, uh, like you've heard it recently, if you happen to catch our video or if you were here for the in-person worship last week, we picked up right before this. In fact, Jesus barely pauses. He maybe stopped long enough to take a breath between last week and this week. It's still in the setting of the Last Supper. This is still in a larger time of teaching and, 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 and sharing, speaking with the disciples at the Last Supper, known as the Farewell Discourse. Jesus knows as soon as this dinner is over, they're going to go out to the garden and he's going to be betrayed and he's going to be arrested and the next day he's going to be crucified and then a couple of days after that, he's going to raise again. Everything is going to be different. That is what the setting where we're at in this passage. And Jesus is telling the disciples, he's telling those closest to him, remain connected to the source of life. Abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. That was last week. And it's continuing here. Live into my commandments. If you, can, if you follow my commandments, I know that you love me and you will abide in my love. It's the same theme that continues to emerge. Remain connected to what I have taught you, what I have showed you, what I am making possible for you. In addition to the Last Supper, though, we also think about where we're at in the church year. This is the sixth Sunday of Easter. 
we're coming right up on the end of this season. In fact, this coming Thursday is the day of ascension, 40 days after the resurrection, when Jesus ascends to heaven, when Jesus returns to heaven in order to send the Holy Spirit upon the disciples at Pentecost, coming up in a couple more weeks, to empower them to be the body of Christ in the world, to be the ones who are the hands and feet of the church, of Christ, of God out in the world. That's coming right up, ascensions in just a few more days. So we're coming to the end of this season when things will be different and when we remember that we too as followers of Christ are empowered by the one who has returned to heaven on our behalf. The one who goes to prepare a place for us is the promise that's made. The one who has sent the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the, 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 to come and be with us and to, come and to empower us to also be the hands and feet just like the disciples were. That is the theme that's all at play in this when we remember the call that we have all been given to follow Jesus' commands. And the command is given here, and it seems really simple. A new command I give you, that you love one another. This is how the world will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now with this command, Jesus also offers a new identity, and that's something that I appreciate a great deal. We talk a lot about the identity that is given to us through God, by God. And that most central identity that we all share, beloved child of God, one that stems from God's claim upon us because of God's joy and delight that God takes in us from the beginning. But here we have another example of God changing the identity of individuals. We've seen this throughout the course of the scriptures. If we look all the way back uh, to the very earliest part in Genesis, we have Abram, who then God calls Abraham. And we also have Sarai, who God then calls Sarah. And we have all these different examples of times when God changes the identity of the person. Another example is Peter, who we also know is Simon. Jesus meets him and he says, your name is Simon, I'm going to call you Peter. That's happened in this gospel as well. Now Jesus looks at the disciples who he has called servants up to this point. And he says, I no longer call you servants. Now I call you friend. And then when Jesus is talking about this command to love one another, he goes one step further because he gives them an example. Love has no greater example than this, that one would lay down their life for their friend. If that's not the idea of being involved, folks, I don't know what is. And Jesus is the ultimate example of that because, as we said, Last Supper, it's about to happen. He's literally about to lay down his life, not just for these 12 disciples, but for all of the world. We hear that clear back in John chapter 3, perhaps one of the most famous passages in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life have this life of abundance, this life of fulfillment, because I don't think eternal life just means that we're going to live forever and that someday we're going to be in heaven, whatever that's going to look like, and that's going to last forever. Now, I believe that is true, but I also believe that he has come to give us life and fulfillment now, a life free of that which hinders us. Now, are we all the way there yet? No, of course not, because this world, good as it is, still is not perfect. It's still moving towards that sense of completion that God has promised us out there in the future. But the thing about it is we are all in this boat together. 
I think about a story, I've actually shared it before, and it highlights this idea of a word that I believe is Swahili, but please don't quote me on that because I'm not positive. It's the word Ubuntu. And Ubuntu means that we are together. And the example is this. A man went to a village and he says, there's a pile of candy over there. And you children, you can race over to it. And whoever gets there first gets the candy. And he marvels when the children all join hands and they walk there together. They arrive at the same time and then they all share it. And he says, I don't understand. Why didn't one of you try and take it all? And they said, how could we be happy knowing that someone else is sad? It's this idea that we are all connected. We are all involved. It's an idea, I, I remember it from another movie. If you remember the old movie came out back in the 90s called Backdraft. It's about firefighters. And one guy, they're fighting a fire and, and the floor gives way below him and he's hanging and they're all jumping down to help him. And he says, I'm going. And they say, you go, we go. We're all in this together. Now, when we think about this idea of loving one another, perhaps it's easy to think of things in a small group or a small community. And maybe the disciples were thinking that too. There were 12 of them there. Maybe they thought, well, okay, so we're loving one another. That's what Jesus is telling us. But I think it's bigger than that because it's recognizing that we're all connected in this life together, whether it's someone that we know or not, whether it's someone that we have a close, intense relationship with or not. And I'm not just talking about romantic type of love here, but how do we have love for another person simply because of their common humanity? simply because they are in this life and we are in this life and we might not never get anything from them at all, but can we still get involved when we see a need? Folks, I was thinking about this a lot. I was, I was kind of just walking around the church, pacing around, trying to organize my thoughts earlier today as I'm recording this, and I got a first-hand account of this. Because as I was pacing around the church, just kind of mulling over things in my mind, I heard the office phone ring. Now, the office phone rings quite a bit, and nine times out of ten, it's either a sales call or it's a robocall. So yes, I screen the phone calls. I let it go. And I heard the answering machine pick up, and there's a reason that my cell phone number is on is on the answering machine. So if it's an emergency, people can get a hold of me. But I heard the answering machine pick up. I heard the message go through. I heard the person hang up. 15 seconds later, the phone rang again. And I said, I know where this is going. They're trying to get my cell phone number. They listened through again. And I said, about 15 more seconds, my cell phone's going to ring. And sure enough, it did. And when I answered, it was a woman who was in issue. She was having problems. She needed some help. She needed a tank of gas to try and get to where she was trying to go. She didn't have any money. Can I help? And I thought to myself, I'm involved now. You go, we go. How can we not look at another person, recognize them as a fellow beloved child of God, alive on the earth, and how can we not get involved? This is what we are called to do. This, I believe, is what Jesus is not only empowering us to do, but is also commanding us to do, to get involved, to be willing to put our lives on the line, to lay down my life, whether literally in his case, or whether figuratively in that, will I put my own needs aside? Will I inconvenience myself to help another in their moment of need? Loving each other, while seemingly easy, is not always quite so easy, is it? 
We have to be willing to give of ourselves. That's what love is. That's what laying down our life really is. But we have been given the ultimate example. And we have been given the command to do just that. Because when this Jesus, the one who first laid down his life for all the world, when he returns to heaven and empowers us to be the hands and feet of God, that's what we are called to do out in the world. Not asking the question, what do I get out of this? Or how will this benefit us as a congregation or as a faith community or as a church? Or how am I going to be made better for this? But simply because there is a need and God has given me the ability to meet it. May we be empowered and may we be encouraged to open our eyes and to witness those things, those times, those, those moments when we have been called to get involved. You go we go because we're all in this together. Amen.